Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Here's why you should tune in to today's show. What did and what didn't come out of the bizarre SBF interview? We'll discuss that the former FTX CEO's PR offensive. Plus, we'll be joined by the Ethereum bull and Dharma Capital co-founder Andrew Keys is with us today. Good morning, everybody. I'm Elaine Lee, your friendly crypto host and producer. Friend of the show, Santiago Velez is with me. Santiago, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. This is a special interview for me. It's our first time together, so happy to be here. Oh, very good. The last time we were together in real life, we was on a plane together going <laughs> uh, to Cayman to see good old Rao Pal for the Cayman experience. That was really fun. So on this episode of the Crypto Daily Briefing, it's sponsored by the Crypto App. The Crypto App delivers everything you need to stay on top of the world of crypto and to your own crypto holdings, including a market-leading price tracker, portfolio manager, analytics suite, and news feed, as well as a wide array of customizable alerts and widgets to help you keep up. Crypto moves fast, so don't get left behind. With over 4 million downloads, the crypto app is the market's leading app for all things crypto. Download the crypto app today on Google Play or iOS App Store. Now, let's jump straight into the price action. Crypto investors will be glad to see the back of November. Can you believe it's the 1st of December today? I was forbidden to wear a Santa hat, but here we are. Bitcoin fell 18% compared to the month before. It's currently trading to consolidate above 17,000. It went as high as 17,000 a couple of hours ago, and here's the chart that you're seeing there before dropping. Meanwhile, over Ethereum, Ether had even an uglier month. Looking at this chart here, it just fell uh, 21% in November. That's despite some recovery over the past week. Ether is a, a little change on the day, trading at below 1,300, despite the green that we are seeing. And spare a thought for our friends over on the Solana side. Formerly a top 10 crypto by market cap, and if you look at the crypto chart right there, uh, it was heavily backed by SBF. Of course, it lost a whopping 60% of value in November. Alcharuni is the word I have for that. Santiago, what are your thoughts about the market right now? Oh, well, as gloomy as that might seem, that summary, uh, I'm actually still fairly bullish. I think that uh, from at least from a technical perspective, we retested some important lows. Uh, when you zoom out and you look over four or five years, uh, we're pretty much where we were prior to the bull run in this cycle. Um, so it's following very similar cycle dynamics and it's commensurate with the network effects. Um, I also think that it's uh, still highly correlated to equities and Fed policy. We saw a really strong rally yesterday in equity markets. Um, and we've, you know, we've seen that kind of resilience in crypto and that response. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if we continue to range sideways for a while and then uh, 
make our way into the next bull run. All this, of course, um, is contingent on no further bad structural news coming uh, from SBF and related contagions. So uh, I'm still, you know, cautiously optimistic. Nice. And of course, the macro side as well. Prior to the bull run is what I picked up from what you said. Thanks, Santiago. OK, one last token that I wanted to touch a little bit upon uh, before we move on is uh, we're looking at the token called Library. It's down some by 5% on a 24 hour basis, which could be related to a statement that they put out on Twitter made by the company behind it. More on that in just a little moment. And this is a good one because it ties in with everything that's going on in the space. And very interesting that we have Santiago on the show to break that down for us a little bit later on. But first of all, let's go over to our very first story. And of course, there is no prize for guessing which story is attracting the most interest, controversy and eyeballs. And that's SPF's bizarre interview with The New York Times. Andrew Ross Asorkin from CNBC. Uh, bizarre for a few reasons. OK, so a that it even happened. Okay, it was Book Summit that was promoted months ago that it was going to speak at, and it, it did happen. OK, and there he is right now. Um, guessing coming from the Bahamas, not in real person, of course. B is his answers. C, the reception that it got in the room. Let me tell you this, Santiago, at the end of this, I think it was like about an hour long panel. I might be wrong about that. But people clapped at the end. OK, people clapped at the end. And the main takeaway that SBF said that he didn't know, quote, knowingly commingle FTX users funds with Alameda funds. Make of that what you will. He's also done an uh, the interview this morning. I don't know if you have turned on the TV this morning or even just strolling through your Twitter timeline, right? Good Morning America, which is one of America's largest and most viewed show, ran an interview with him, full bells and whistles with a whole violin jingle, very dramatic, 10 minutes of airtime. So that is what is going on. So Santiago, what do you make of the interview? Uh, well, rest in peace, uh, his lawyers and legal counsel. Um, I can't imagine putting my client in front of audiences with that kind of questions. Uh, frankly, I think the media is treating the whole of affair with kid, kid gloves, not enough deep uh, and challenging questions. I think uh, it is very odd to see, and you see the response on Twitter and other social forums. Um, it doesn't seem right or justified. Uh, there's there's going to be a counter reaction, I believe, as things progress and investigations continue. Uh, but for now, it's just it seems oddly favorable uh, to SBF and FTX. So I, I suspect that will change in due time. Yeah, I've just been reading up about it. Um, honestly, Santiago, I could only really stomach 10 minutes of it from a chunk that was sent uh, to me by our crypto community member, <laughs> Crypto Keto. I think the crypto community deserves and wants like a crypto native chat, and that will happen a little bit um, down the line later today. It was um, one of these Twitter spaces from Mario Nafal. Um, that goes on for hours on end and he is expected to be on that space a little bit later on. So there'll be more reaction talking to more crypto native people. So look, I've had my fair share of crypto funds stuck in a centralized exchange. So for me, I managed to dodge FTX like COVID 1.0. But dear media, right? If you want the internet points, enough of SBF airtime. There's only so much you can handle that. Chase that Gary Wang interview and I want to hear from Caroline Ellison. Um, all right. Let's you know, you know I, I, on that note, really quick, what's other what's very surprising, too, is seeing um, longtime supporters of of SBF uh, on Twitter 
Um, and these are individuals who have lost substantial amounts of money. Uh, continue to and, yeah, and I'm that, assuming you're referring to the. I'm assuming <laughs> you're referring to the Kevin O'Leary one. Exactly, um, and it, it's just very disappointing that Bill Ackman, Kevin O'Leary, etc., uh, continue to to uh, justify and do the mental gymnastics towards um, uh, SBF. It's it's shocking, really. So I'm not sure what kind of ulterior motives are uh, here, but uh, you know, I think I don't think that's going to end well. It's not going to not not going to end well. Um, well, on that note, <laughs> to move on and hopefully um, let's talk, have a conversation with our next guest who we can move forward with the blockchain industry. I think that's what's important. Uh, bringing in our next guest, he is Andrew Keys. Hello, Andrew. He is the co-founder of Dharma. Hello. He is the co-founder of Dharma Capital. Welcome back, Andrew. Take Thanks for Andrew, such a pleasure to meet you. Uh, you've been in the space for many, many years. I think you uh, have a unique appreciation of the cycles and what's really going on here. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about Dharma Capital and yourself, your origin story, and then maybe uh, segue into how you think the space has evolved since you started. So very quickly, I've been an operator and an investor in this space since 2014. I helped build Consensus, which was responsible for delivering kind of the Ethereum ecosystem. I was running around with Vitalik in 2015 uh, before Ethereum went live, explaining what a blockchain was to institutional banks, investment banks, uh, central banks, uh, Fortune 500, as well as the startup community. Uh, Consensus is also known for creating MetaMask, the most used uh, retail wallet, 50 million monthly active users, and Infura, kind of the most used developer tool for load balancing. Uh, Dharma is an acronym for Digital Asset Risk Management Advisors. We take risk management extremely seriously, uh, particularly at this time. We had zero exposure to FTX, FTT, Serum, Alameda, uh, we thought it was precarious that an exchange would have a collaborating proprietary trading fund, and that was essentially a no-go for us at stage one of the interaction. It still boggles my mind that you have tier one investors like Temasek, Sequoia, Paradigm that would even consider letting a exchange that's supposed to be provably neutral, have a proprietary trading fund alongside of it, taking directional bets. Uh, I think while the asset used in this example was were crypto assets, uh, I believe this is a case of fraud uh, and commingling of assets. And I think that is what is going to be unveiled uh, as we go down the rabbit hole. What I think is probably most notable, and you can uh, extrapolate this also to the Celsius and Voyager bankruptcies, is the only creditors that were made whole within Alameda's uh, case, Voyager's case, Celsius's case, were smart contracts. Smart contracts held their collateral and they borrowed, Celsius borrowed, FTX, Alameda borrowed, uh, Voyager borrowed from them. So they would deposit, for example, 
a million dollars of Bitcoin and they would receive $300,000 uh, to which that they could make proprietary trading bets. And there's not a single human being paid back. There's not a single trustee, bankruptcy trustee paid back. But the only entities paid back are these smart contracts. And, and it's done so, so that uh, companies and BlockFi also did something similar today where the digital assets are sold so they have enough cash to get through their Chapter 11 uh, processes uh, without trustees having to basically decide whether to keep or sell uh, digital assets on their balance sheet. So I think what we're seeing actually is the beginning of the end of, 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 of kind of a hybrid era where you had these intermediaries that kind of sat between traditional financial firms and smart contract, uh, what I would call subjective intermediaries versus objective mathematical trustless systems. And I think that there's a whole world of regulation that's going to come from this, most of which I hope will be thoughtful and good. I think there's a whole world of litigation that's going to come from this. Frankly, there is a whole world of pain. Uh, I, I, I feel horrible for the millions of people that have lost, in some cases, their entire life savings. Uh, but I actually think, uh, notwithstanding the pain that those people are feeling, uh, this washout will actually be good for uh, this technology uh, moving forward, where we are starting to learn the difference between centralized finance that is governed by subjective intermediaries versus decentralized finance governed by objective math and physics. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Wow, that's great. You know, as we speak, uh, there are preparations for testimony in front of Congress to discuss these very issues. Um, I wish we had captured what you said there and had uh, submitted that for testimony because it's exactly this difference between CFI and DeFi, uh, humans versus smart contracts that differentiates really what the counterparty risks are. And to your point about the contr smart contracts function exactly as programmed, exactly as anticipated in these events, should be a testimony for the technology stack. Um, and my understanding at Dharma is that's what you guys have been building through consensus, MetaMask, et cetera, for all these years, is this counterparty neutral technology stack. And, 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 most, and, and furthermore, uh, once the regulators actually understand how smart contracts work, I believe the smart contracts will be the regulator's best friends because essentially they could program the regulation into the system. You can program the amount of leverage. You can program that you can't even enter the trading venue unless you've passed AML, KYC, accredited investor uh, due diligence. So once we can actually embed the arbitrarily complex logic 
into the regulation technologically, you can actually have real time due diligence rather than what we have now, which is this kind of quarterly look back. Yeah, that would be a fundamental shift in the regulatory regime and how uh, investors interface with, with the broader market. I mean, it would tr literally transform uh, how capital would flow and how risk would be managed, et cetera, uh, because all these knowns would be real time and expected and you know the outcomes. Um, so, you know, I, I share that. I think that's an important step. I think eventually that's what's gonna happen. And fortunately, we're gonna go through this uh, painful intermediary process. And to your earlier point, a lot of people uh, are going to get hurt along the way who don't understand uh, the difference between CFI and DeFi uh, and exactly what risks they're taking on. And, and that's part of the problem, the opacity of a lot of the firms who offer these interest-bearing services, who use user funds, and, and the fraud. Uh, a lot of people are talking about the need for more regulation to mitigate a lot of these catastrophes, but honestly, fraud is already illegal. There's not much additional regulation that's required. Um, what is required is clarity on the use of the tools that you so succinctly described, right? Is to get that clarity as a useful tool and an allowable tool. So I, I, I absolutely commend that. Can you talk a little bit about your view of uh, uh, FTX and SBF in general and how you think that's played out up to this point and how you think it's going to continue to play out? Well, I, I never could understand and, and, and I, and I re uh, already raised this point, but I think it bears repeating mm -hmm. how a regulated exchange, quote unquote regulated, uh, was able to have a counterparty in Alameda that basically was uh, first to know of the deal flow. That was my first red flag over and above uh, anything else. Secondarily, I think that they kind of bifurcated uh, and went jurisdictional shopping where they found the most lenient jurisdiction in the Bahamas. Uh, I, I, I would love to know the amount of regulators that sit in the Bahamas versus a place like the United States and just the pure man hours that are able to be contributed to regulating a venue. Uh, if you actually go through uh, their their day one bankruptcy proceedings, the two places where they believe the entities are fully solvent is FTX Japan and FTX US, which actually maintained a kind of a solvency uh, requirement that had to be done monthly. So uh, if you were able to bifurcate out um, all of the different entities, the ones that actually have regulations in place like Japan and US, there's a world where those users could be made whole, which I think is a testament to proper, thoughtful regulation for the industry to potentially grow. That all said, I think this is a case of fraud. And, and the closest analogy uh, is not uh, Bernie Madoff, and it's not Dick Fold at Lehman's implosion, um, but in my opinion, it's the commingling of John Corzine's long-term capital management. And, and so the second that we take retail capital and we move it out of the custody of where it's supposed to be for 
whether it was FTX's well-being or Alameda's well-being, that is wire fraud, that is jail. And I believe whether it's crypto, US dollars, electrons on a solar grid, apples, bananas, that is theft, that is fraud, and that is what I believe is gonna come out when the actual facts come to light. I 100% agree, and you know I think it's doubly compounded by um, these you know late in the night tr large transfers of funds uh, without clarity as to who they're going to, where they're going, why those transfers are being made, um, and of course you know the the convenient hacks that occur. A lot of this is you know incredibly suspicious. It 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 shakes confidence in in the process, and it, it's shocking that. Um, so few people could be in control of so many people's funds in such a large amount. And this is exactly the kind of uh, protocol controls that you could build in. Uh, for example, if you had a DAO managing large funds, you know, you could preclude one or two single actors from diverting billions of dollars of funds. Right. Uh, so again, another example of how centralization run amok, even though it's a stack on top of quote unquote crypto, um, is not representative of this industry of what we're trying to achieve. So. Uh, a great, excellent comments. So on on the on the topic of contagion, because we talked a lot about uh, you know uh, different different jurisdictions and how they might be treated. Digital Currency Group, uh, you you posted an incredible tweet uh, about a week ago regarding uh, DCG and and affiliates. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that tweet and what you meant sure. with, uh, behind that? Because I think it was it was stunning. Sure, sure, sure. I uh, posed uh, the offer to acquire the. Ethereum-based assets. Uh, Ethereum is my strongest thesis uh, in the in the Web3 investing landscape right now. I do believe that it will be the substrate to our digital economy, our social, economic, and political systems. Uh, and there are particular illiquidity mismatches right now. For example, staked Ether uh, cannot be withdrawn uh, so basically, if somebody had $100 million worth of staked Ether, they wouldn't be able to access that. Uh, another example of this is the Ethereum Grayscale Trust that is currently at a 40% discount to NAV. So if there were 100 Ether in there, it's uh, the, the price is 60 Ether, uh, basically the fair market value. Um, so, so basically, two of these, of, of, of these assets that is under the DCG umbrella are uh, illiquid and in distressed situations, these illiquid assets are hard to sell. And I uh, specifically uh, explained that I would surgically uh, incise um, those types of assets. That said, um, I am still speaking with them and uh, under NDA about, you know, their specifics. Um, and uh, that said, personally, I'm not necessarily interested in buying uh, an OTC trading desk that is still kind of centrally run. I'm, I'm much more about uh, these objective mathematical uh, rules-based systems where we can program in uh, regulatory compliance. Uh, and, uh, or, you know, the, the other aspects, uh, you know, the DCG venture book, I'm not particularly interested. I'm not particularly interested in the CoinDesk media company 
So, so in particular, um, I, I, uh, I, I thought of one of the assets that I could imagine be distressed and illiquid. Wow, that's that's amazing, and that that's a a, a sign of a very savvy investor uh, who looks for value in distressed assets. Uh, I think that's that that that'd be very exciting to see the outcome of that. Appreciate your insights on that. Uh, let's bring Elaine in. Uh, she might have some comments here and, and continue to elaborate on our other stories. Yeah, I wanted to touch on a story yesterday it was something that popped up uh, when I was live on air breaking over on the Twitter timelines. And I think this would be a great one for you, Andrew, because you like uh, talking about wallets and making them digital online. So um, we it's basically the story talking about uh, Telegram. Um, so basically, they are wanting to launch their own wallet and its own decentralized exchange. Uh, Pavel Durov, um, who is the founder and CEO of the messaging Telegram um, app, it says the com uh, company will launch its own non-custodial wallets. Um, and like I said, as well as decentralized exchanges, Durov says um, this is in a response to the abuse of power concentrated in the hands of a few as soon as FTX, but he also said it's now feasible for small teams to build successful DeFi products, of course, as we are in the building season. He pointed to Telegram's recently launched marketplace called Fragment, uh, which runs on Telegram's Ton blockchain. Now, for me personally, when I open up the Telegram app, I'm going to be honest with you, it is spammy AF, okay? I didn't even know when I joined these things. I clicked on it. I open it. 58,000 messages, okay? It just said something, something, no admin. 58,000. Eh, what's going on there? I'd love to hear from uh, maybe Santiago first. Yeah, uh, you know, Telegram was, uh, is, continues to be a tool that a lot of uh, projects, uh, even back in uh, 2017 ICO days, would use to launch their communities and cultivate them. And uh, there were a lot of pump and dump scams on Telegram, uh, but there also is a lot of communication that's legitimate that continues on the platform. And uh, it continues to persist despite uh, a regulatory enforcement action by the SEC. Um, which required them to return a significant amount of funds back to investors and their token, as well as uh, fines. Um, so this to me is a testament that uh, projects can live and die by regulatory enforcement, uh, but also persist despite it and um, even expand out. Uh, so we'll, we'll have to see, you know, we have to remain skeptical of any claims that people make about products they, they, they may or may not launch. And uh, to what extent it will be decentralized and to what extent it will remove that risk. Um, so it's a good sign to see companies thinking this way, and I'm hopeful that they'll be able to deliver on these promises. Uh, but yeah, like all things, we need to remain skeptical and, and vigilant. I'll let uh, Andrew in. So I think the interesting takeaway from this isn't necessarily the brand of Telegram, uh, it's the notion that we can have a self-sovereign identity that can also be our wallet, that can also be our uh, means of messaging, which could also be a place where we have attributes about ourselves. So let's talk about facts and opinions about ourselves. So attestations. So like the equivalent of the five stars at the end of the Uber. And I think there's going to be a war of, of, of different ways to express this, uh, but having kind of a singular user experience like Telegram that 
in their credit have garnered millions of users. I don't know the number, but it is a very well-used app. And they're trying to now convert that messaging app to wallet, exchange, and, you know, I'm sure it'll be gaming interface if it, you know, you know, and, and there are other uh, avenues, there are other products that have garnered many monthly active users and are also going to kind of bolt on this different type of user experience. So um, I'm not familiar with the Ton blockchain. Um, I'm not familiar. I haven't used the Dex. I haven't used the wallet, but I do think it's, uh, we are getting to a world, in my opinion, where uh, rather than logging into something like Telegram or into Twitter or into Facebook, we're going to log into the biometric browser. We're going to log into, I'll log into the Andrew browser by maybe my mm. facial recognition. And from there, I should have wallet. I should have messaging. I should have the ability to exchange if I pass a AML KYC accredited investor. I should have the ability to uh, have commerce and reputation. And I think there's going to be a hundred, a thousand different companies trying to kind of crack this nut for where we spend our time. And Telegram is one of the many. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. We're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. I couldn't agree more. You know, I see it as a conversion of the network effect values in web two to web three. How do we take this huge population exactly. of users and, and, and create a, an environment where they can you know, be self-sovereign and have these uh, digital identity and continue on um, in decentralized path of decentralization uh, and grow those network effects. And I think ultimately what will happen is there'll be a, a strong need for interoperability, where if these networks are successful in cultivating their communities, they're going to need a way to cross chain, interoperate value, messaging, standards, et cetera. So, um, I, you know, it's going to be an exciting uh, transformation. And this is why I think people who call for the death of blockchain and, and, and Bitcoin and Ethereum, et cetera, it's, it's a lot of hyperbole. I think we need to pay attention and remind ourselves that there's a lot being built and this trend is a secular trend and it's going to continue on. Um, so with that, um, Elaine, let, let's hear what you have to say. Yeah, no, it's good. Like listening to Andrew, you know, these are visionary uh, thoughts and opinions there. So you are definitely home today with those sort of big thinking uh, ahead and moving forward, right? I think for me, all right, you know what? I'll give it another go. I know people are building a lot of Telegram. I know people say that Telegram is a new Discord. Discord is still a bit of a shit show, but we're still there for it. I'll give it another go. I'll try getting a little bit creative with it. I'll do an Elaine sticker pack, you know, an Elaine customized, you know, emoticons. But I'll see. When it comes out, I'll give it another play for sure. Um, all right. Another story that we picked up is, and this is what, uh, new to me, but very interesting. So um, uh, 
Binance announced that it would buy FTX. So you'll be forgiven if you missed it. But then this is when Library, the content sharing blockchain platform, announced that it lost its legal battle with the SEC, uh, the US Securities and Exchange Commission over in the US. A judge in the case ruled that the Library tokens were securities. The ruling caused a big controversy in the crypto space and it was deemed a big setback for the industry. Now, Library says the company has been, quote, killed by legal and SEC debts. In other words, the company will soon die because of the costs associated with fighting the SEC. However, it did say that blockchain will continue to operate. So Santiago, sad end to this story. What are your thoughts about this? I think it illustrates two uh, overall trends that I've been noticing in the crypto space, regulatory space, both. Uh, on the crypto side, uh, you know, all things start centralized. Uh, you know, Bitcoin and Satoshi Nakamoto was centralized. Ethereum was centralized. Everything starts centralized. Uh, but it goes on this path towards decentralization. And part of that uh, might mean it's an individual or a corporation that launches an initiative to develop a, a network. And as it progresses and matures towards decentralization, um, it may or may not survive. And some of the factors that contribute to that survival are regulatory. Some might be garnering sufficient network effects uh, and being a good service to the communities. Um, so I feel like in this particular case, what could happen is that library uh, decided that they would uh, continue to allow their code, uh, their, their software to remain free and open source and available to any other builders. And that's that's an interesting proposition to see whether or not the initiating corporation who is now uh, bankrupt and, and can't continue on, if the technology will live on. Um, and so it will be a, a good use case or a test case uh, for that ethos of decentralization. If it's made free and open source, can it persist on its own? Will the community uh, pick up the, the baton and run with it and, and, and continue to decentralize it? So that, that's kind of the first trend. Uh, the second trend is this overall SEC um, which I, I feel is a, a regulatory kind of picking winners and losers. You know, we've seen these these problems with uh, uh, FTX, massive fraud, massive loss of investor funds, um, and almost no reaction from the regulator up to this point. And at the same time, we have this you know uh, outsized enforcement, almost a, a kind of a enforcement theater by the SEC on a very small project, a library. Um, and the judge has decided that they issued a security. So that's that's kind of that. Um, but we see a, a, a picking of winners and losers. And in the case of Telegram, which is another uh, 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 topic for today, Telegram was also subject to a similar enforcement, and yet they persist. So, um, you know, being attacked by the SEC is not necessarily the death knell for a company. Uh, and it certainly doesn't mean the end for a path towards decentralization. So I think there's an overall uh, uh, theme in, in, in both cases. Andrew, do you have anything to add to that one? I, I do. Blockchain, one of the advances in database technology was the fact that we can now tokenize or digitize assets. All digital assets are not securities. There can be digital representations of bars of gold. There can be digital representations of a software license. There can be digital representations of an insurance policy a prescription, a song, uh, a, a storage on a network like random access memory, uh, fiat currencies, and all of these things are not securities. And uh, the way that 
the SEC, in my opinion, has worked this year has been they've actually been fighting the wrong battles. Who has been penalized uh, this year? It was consumers who weren't protected by centralized lenders and exchanges, a la Celsius, BlockFi, and FTX. Uh, and if we deem every token a security, we will set the industry back, or the SEC will actually just lose uh, block Web3, unlike how the United States won Web2. And, and, and the fact of the matter is, is there are many different examples. I think Ether is a great example of a cryptographic fuel. It's, it's a next generation oil needed to run a smart contract between two counterparties, which isn't a security, in, in my opinion, and, and the CFTC agrees, it's a commodity. It's a digital commodity. And uh, what I think we see here is that the SEC with relatively constrained resources picks cases where they see kind of egregiously uh, poor facts and then they try to set precedent against small companies without the resources uh, based upon uh, a bad fact pattern. Frankly, I think that there should be an ontology defining tokens. And if a token uh, has aspects that would be resembling a security, it should be re uh, regulated by the SEC. If it has one that's uh, similar to a commodity where you know Bitcoin could be considered a digital gold or Ethereum could be considered a digital oil, maybe that could go under CFTC purview. If something is a piece of art, maybe that doesn't necessarily have to be regulated at all but it's just a digital representation of a piece of art. Uh, you can have you know, digital tokens that represent barrels of oil, and instead of having to actually move the barrels of oil, you can just move the tokens uh, around as IOUs. Um, the same way the Chicago Mercantile Exchange cash settles versus physically settles <laughs> delivery of, of, of commodities. So uh, what I see here is the misappropriation of regulators' time that we're going after, in my opinion, uh, a battle that I don't think is worth fighting when we've just seen millions of Americans and people all across the world lose as much as their entire life savings because they weren't going through consumer protections at their lending facilities and at their exchanges. So I think that the fact that this library loss uh, should be considered kind of a, 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 it is quote unquote legal precedent. That said, uh, it would behoove us as an industry to define an ontology for tokens because not all tokens are created equal. You could have a fiat grouping, a commodity grouping, a gaming grouping, uh, an art grouping, a consumer retail grouping, uh, and, and a securities grouping, an insurance grouping. You, when I think about my assets, a prescription that I get from a doctor could be a token. And, and basically, it could be a non-fungible token. That will be the day.
Andrew, trust me, I talk to enough doctors in the space who keep half an eye on the blockchain industry. That will be <laughs> day. But, so. but it's a great example. So, so one of my favorite, uh, you know, examples uh, are, is is well, I don't want to get into it too long of a story, but 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 sticking with the prescription, it could be a non fungible token with that it could say you can have a smart contract says if patient paid health insurance premium and has certain procedure and certain diagnosis. So CPTs and ICDs, which is what you need in order to write a prescription, you have the, the name of the, the patient, the procedure and the diagnosis, they're able to get the drug. And that should be, that token is an asset to that person. And that's not a security. But, but the way that uh, this is being framed where all tokens are unregistered securities is absolute garbage. And it's a huge waste of our taxpayers' resources. And it has been a huge misallocation of resources because what really hurt us this year were the centralized lenders that were rehypothecating uh, without good risk management and the, and the centralized exchanges. One Congress. Here, 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 here. Right. Um, okay, that was fascinating um, today. And obviously, I think, Andrew, what you're saying is there's bigger fish to fry out there, friends. Um, look, once again, it has been a fascinating conversation. And Andrew and Santiago, it is so hard to, you know, I hope the space, whoever watches this video understands how incredible it is to put you two together in a conversation. I think that's the beauty of this when you feel it, when we put you guys in probably in future in real life events. All right, but we have to basically wrap up the conversation with key takeaways because complication and complexity is risk. So what we like to do at this show is basically um, the team behind there is listening and we do a sort of uh, takeaways segment to to wrap up everything so number one what we picked up is that tier one investors even now today can get into trouble in this crypto space i mean if you don't hear about the risk management strategy stay away we're in a whole uh, world of pain right now is what andrea is saying but this will wash out will be good for the tech going forward we need to be governed by maths and physics the second point that we wanted to bring out was that smart contra uh, contracts worked as intended even during the FTX collapse. User funds that were on smart contracts were not lost. The only entities that were made um, whole were those whose funds were on smart contracts. So this is a big win for DeFi. You know, you see it on the uh, Twitter timeline, you say DeFi is the answer. Of course, there's a lot of stuff that we still need to iron out in the DeFi space as well. Third of all is basically Andrew's red flag about FTX was the link between Alameda and FTX. How was Alameda able to know so much about what was going on at a supposedly regulator, uh, regulated exchange. FTX Japan and FTX US remained solvent because they were proper, properly regulated. And users with funds on those particular exchanges could potentially be made whole. That's the upside of thoughtful regulation. Finally, one more, because this one was a good one, that Andrew, of course, is still most bullish on Ethereum out of the entire crypto space pointing out to efficiencies in the system that once resolved could be very positive for the space. Did we provide a good um, real vision perspective here, Andrew? Very good for me. 
Brilliant. It was fantastic. One of my favorite interviews so far. Ah, good. And okay, right. So anyway, moving forward ahead. Thank you. And uh, Andrew and Santiago, no viewers questions today because people are probably burnt out by Thursday, but we are here still with you Monday to Friday uh, noon. Um, so that's it for today. The episode of Crypto Daily Briefing is sponsored by the Crypto app. The Crypto app is the place for all things crypto. Download the Crypto app today on Google Play or iOS App Store. Tomorrow we've got Ram, not going to attempt that last name, sorry, from Lumida and Michael Anderson from Framework Ventures. A lot of gaming funding coming uh, this way. So you don't want to miss that. And also somebody sent me Land and Unicorn yesterday that I have to wrap up the show and start playing with that, whatever that means. So see you guys tomorrow, noon Eastern, 5 p.m. London, live on Real Vision, Crypto Daily Briefing.